трибунах олеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут, На зеленом ковре стадиона Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News podcast, courtesy of Russian Football News. We've got a great series of topics lined up for you today, so let's just get straight on with the show. I'll introduce my two guests. Uh, as per usual, we just can't get them away. It's the great Dane, Toka Thielaid. Yeah, sorry, Thomas. I just keep coming back. Yeah, we, we do try and keep you away, but you, you actually beg to come on. I, I <laughs> yeah, I apologise. Uh, and one person who's making his uh, glorious return, I can't think of a metaphor, but you are making a glorious return. That's Andrew Flint. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been painful to be away, guys. I've enjoyed the podcast in my absence, but um, a pang of jealousy each time. But good to be back. Um, and yeah, like you say, it's a, it's a pretty exciting time footy coming back to Russia. So good to be back. Well, it's good to know somebody actually listens to the podcast. <laughs> so well, yeah, of course. Anyway, so let's um, kick things straight off. It's, of course, we had the Europa League ties uh, last week. Um, just to read off the results for the benefit of those who don't know them or have perhaps forgotten, because quite frankly, it was a week to forget. So we had Zenit away at Celtic. Um, they lost 1-0. Uh, we had Siskar away at Red Star Belgrade. They uh, drew 0-0. And then we had uh, Spartak at home to Athletic Bilbao. They lost uh, 3-1. And then the glorious result was... Uh, Locomotive Moscow away at Nice, winning 3-2. So, Toka, I mean, let's let's start with the bad things. You're the pessimist here. Let's. Which of those... Well, I mean, actually, no, we, we can say straight away that Spartak's the worst result. So, looking at that game, what particularly... Was it a shock to you? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember last week, but I was actually... I was a bit optimistic on Spartak's behalf. I mean, see, and then seeing them lose like this at home, it, it was embarrassing... It was it was so awful defensively, and they really, they really, in my opinion, didn't deserve to get anything more than than what they got. And yeah, this is probably the end for them. I doubt they can pull off the miracle in Bilbao next week. Um, and yeah, it, it it is really disappointing. I mean, it's it's never really a shame to go out to a Spanish side. Obviously, Bilbao is a really good team, but losing the way they did Thursday evening that was that was un- unbearable to watch. Uh, really, really embarrassing, in my opinion. I mean, Andrew, I th- um, you, did, you said you listened to the podcast last week. This is a, this is a semi-test. We, I mean, Toka said that he was expecting a result, and Bilbao are thirteenth in La Liga. I mean, mm. what what surprised you most? I mean, the, I mean, Toka says they're not going to pull off the miracle. I mean, they were three 0 down at half time. I mean, it means they're going to have to get three away goals now in Spain, which is going to be an almighty task. Well, it is really, and. Uh, I mean, now it really is as good as a foregone conclusion that that they're out, to be honest. Um, I think, for me, uh, the the thing that really gets to me is Ilya Kutupov. For a long time, I don't know why he's really irritated me. I just don't feel like he deserves to be a even Russian Premier League um, player, Um, simply because he's come through the system and he's Russian. I think this is one of the things we've touched on a long many times before, a long time ago, about the, the foreigner's rule. And this is one of the negatives to me. I think he's been too comfortable because of his nationality. Um, he was effectively, well, if not directly at fault, at least partly at fault for, for all three goals, really. Um, and I think Bilbao could sense that. Um, yeah, they were fortunate with that second goal, with Alderiz's tap-in after that. The free kick rebounded off two players and it fell to him kindly. But... Um, you know, it was Kutubov's foul in the first place that was just 
the clumsiest challenge you've ever seen. Um, I mean, you talk about surprises. It wasn't, I suppose in one sense, it wasn't a deep surprise. It was just the extent to which they just looked like, you know, rabbits in headlights. You have a classic Russian problem. First game back after winter break, tiring late in the game. That you can at least understand. But this was from the very beginning. Um, you know, they seemed fairly, fairly nervous, really. So, yeah, I guess that surprised me a bit. But now this is that's going to be a mammoth task. And I just can't see, I can't really see Sparta getting anything out of the return leg, unfortunately. Um, Toka, would you say that Carrera got his tactics wrong? Or was it purely, I mean, Andrew talks a lot about um, Kutupov there. Or would you say it's more down to Carrera and his tactics? No, I think it, it's pretty difficult to be the coach when when the defenders go out and make silly mistakes like that. I mean, Carrera could have done, he could have done literally everything. He could have set up the perfect perfect tactic. But when the players don't execute, I mean, he's he can't do anything on, on the sideline. And in my opinion, that was what, what happened um, Thursday. He was, he didn't really have any choice, uh, any chances to do anything better because they, they, the, the defense was, it was just horrible. Um, and the goalkeeper didn't look good either. And I think it was just so many, so many small things for Sparta that just casted this game because offensively, it, at, at periods, it was okay. They did dominate the game and possession did have a lot of, I love shots and goal, but they just gave away these incredibly stupid goals, and then you can't do that in a in a two cup in a, in a two way tie in a European uh, game against a good team like at at Bilbao. Then then you're just out, and that that's what happened for for Spartak. Um, so yeah, I definitely think this is on the players and not on Carrera. I mean, you even saw before the game how the Spartak fans cheered on him and made a, had a giant uh, picture of his of his face before the game. I mean. He, he really is a popular man in, in Moscow, and, and there's a, a reason for that. Andrew, this is... I mean, I mentioned there about the... Not the gap, but the fact that Atletico are 13th in La Liga. Does, I mean, we've, talk, we've spoken about this so much over time, and I don't want to go too much over old ground. But does this show how far, how bit wide the gap is between Russian League and the top leagues in Europe? Well, I mean, unfortunately, it does demonstrate a gap, really, doesn't it? We can't really get away from that. Um, I mean, the fact that Atletico third, uh, 13th sorry, in La Liga is is a surprise because if you if you watch the game, uh, anybody who watched the game could see. Well, Aritz Adar is is a is a phenomenon, really, at his age to be just improving more and more. But you know, he's not he's not got bursting pace, but he's a clever player, and they've got. Um, They've got some really exciting midfielders. I like that um, Inyaki Williams. I thought he looks he looks rapid, a really dangerous player. But you know, Smartek have got dangerous players too. Um, and you know, I think I think possibly you mentioned you asked um, Toker about what Carrera may have possibly got wrong. I don't. I agree with Toker. I don't think there's much he could have done. If there was one thing, I personally would have played. Um, Zay Luis. Uh, Zay Luis wasn't injured, was he? He's, he wasn't. There wasn't another reason why he didn't pick him. No, no, he was. I, I think it was ready. Yeah. He he was. Well, you see, that's the thing. You see, I would have played. I would have played Luis Adriano and Zay Luis. I would have played with two more imposing frontmen. Um, it basically be more adventurous, if anything. It's easy to say that afterwards because you know he he might think, look, we've got a really quality opposition. We need to. You know, play our usual game, not go too gung ho and leave ourselves exposed. But 
Yeah, Tom, so answer your question, yeah, basically it, it does demonstrate that there is a gap. We can't get away from it. Um, the one thing I want to say, though, is, the well, last thing I want to say, really, is I don't want people to start jumping on the bandwagon of, oh, this is another classic poor performance first game back after winter break. I don't see this as a winter break problem. It was it was nerves, if anything. I, I don't know, maybe it wasn't even nerves. It was just poor performance because it was in the beginning of the game. Um, but who knows? Miracles have happened before, so we never know. I know it's not really, as, as a host, it's not really my place to put input in, but I'm going to do it anyway here. I think, personally, I would say that the fact that winter break, you say it's not all down to that, and that's true, but it obviously plays a massive part. And also, you have to take into account that Athletic are a very good team. And, I mean, the fact they're 13th in La Liga, I mean, as far as their reputation goes, is a false narrative, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, exactly, that's true. Um, and the La Liga's... The, the, the table at the middle is relatively close. So a couple of wins um, when teams above them drop points and they'd be comfortably back into the top half. So it's not like, yeah, exactly like you say, it is a bit of a false narrative. 13th, it makes a good little headline. But even still, um, uh, it's it's disappointing that Spartak didn't at least give themselves a fighting chance in the second leg. They should definitely be... I mean, if they can't be looking to get, give themselves a fighting chance in the second leg of the first knockout round of Europa League, then that shows a serious lack of ambition. Um, so they should be disappointed with that. So let's move on to the other team that lost now. That's Zenit St. Petersburg. They lost 1-0 at Celtic Park. Toka, I mean, we always say about, it's obviously not good to lose a game, but for Zenit, this isn't actually, I mean, I remember I was listening to it on Scottish radio, actually, as it happened, and they were very sort of hyped up about it and getting very excited. But I'm thinking, actually, for Zenit, it's not, you obviously don't have the away goal which is crucial, but actually it's not that bad a result and you would expect them to turn it around at home, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I mean, result-wise, this, this is fine for Senna. I mean, they're still in the game. They have the, the home game next week. I still expect them to advance. The problem is that they didn't play a very good game. Senna were lucky only to lose with one goal, in my opinion. And I don't think they even created a chance during the entire game. I mean, offensively, they were so weak and... And that, that's worrying for me because had Sinek gone out and played a good game, lost with one goal, that, that's one thing. But the fact that they that they played a horrible game, that makes it tougher to believe that they can turn things around uh, at home. I still expect them to win. I think anything but, but advancement from this stage would, would be a massive disappointment for Sinek. But they, they really didn't look good in the first game against Celtic. I mean, Andrew, I don't know how much you caught the game. But I remember saying on the last podcast that I was slightly worried about this. And actually, I'm just going to reiterate the point that I don't actually think this is too bad a result. It's a loss, but it's not too bad. No, absolutely. Um, it's it does you know it does make it a potentially uh, edgy tie uh, back at the Kristovsky. You know you can you can see that see that what's going to happen. Zenit will be full of pressure. They might get an early goal if they get that second that they need. All it takes is that away goal. That's going to be playing on their minds, potentially. So, if anything, I'd say... I'm not saying it's a good thing, but if there is a positive that can be drawn from the result, is that it will force Mancini to go for uh, go for the jugular, basically. Um, he doesn't need to... He doesn't need to do a lot differently, I don't think, because of the players he has at his disposal. Although, uh, what I would say is... Um, Anton Zabalotny up front. I thought he was fairly anonymous, and admittedly, it's you know it's it's a challenge adapting to a new team and 
Um, you know, he's he's earned his move. He's a he's a decent player, but I wouldn't say he's anything more than decent. And I'm not entirely sure whether Mancini will play him again in the second leg, um, or whether he'll look for uh, another option, put Kokorin centrally. And actually, if I was if I was going to be if I was going to be the manager, that's what I would do. Actually, I think I would put Kokorin centrally because of the form he's shown from that position this season. Um, so possibly a, f- a couple of changes, but the you'd imagine I'm fairly sure that Kristofsky will be sold out. I've got a, a friend who lives there, and he's he's going with about 15 mates, and he said that the tickets are fairly low, and that was a week ago. Atmosphere will be good, um, pressure will be on good players available, and Celtic have their serious injury problems themselves. Um, you know, their defence, their goalkeeper, Craig Gordon, was injured. I'm assuming he'll be unavailable for the second leg. So I'm fairly confident. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you, Tom. So I think not the worst result ever. Uh, just a little side note about the Celtic by the Celtic game, by the way. It's interesting to note that uh, Kwasi Abue, the, of course, the former Krasnodar player, very highly rated, signed by Celtic, started that game and played. Um, Toka, same question about the tactics. Obviously, we've got two Italian managers here, uh, Mancini and Carrera. Would you have done anything differently if you were in Mancini's shoes? I think Mancini was was a bit too cautious, in my, in my opinion. I mean, it does make sense to not go all out attacking in the first leg away, but I think it's a shame that he doesn't really seem to trust, in my opinion, Senestrensen in the offensive part of the game, especially for this one without Ivanovic. But it seems like he was, in my opinion, he was too cautious simply. And once again, I think Mancini has an unfortunate record of falling short of expectations in Europe. And unfortunately, right now, the way they played uh, Thursday, it looks like that could be the case once again. Um, I think. There's so much potential in this Sinner squad, and it just seems like he he doesn't utilize it properly. Uh, for example, Paredes is, in my opinion, one of the best players in, in in Russia actually, and and he was basically invisible this game. And it really is a shame that he doesn't he doesn't get more out of his players. The same with Kukurin, he was in fantastic form in this in uh, in the fall, but against Sinner he was he was invisible, played out on the on the on the wing and did nothing. I mean, he had a, a couple of fine defensive uh, actions, but offensively he didn't really contribute with anything. And yeah, that was that was really a shame. I mean, we talk about confidence going to the second leg, and this is actually a question for both of you, but I'll come to you first, Andrew. Celtic have a good reputation of sort of sh- setting out their shop in Europe, defending a lead. And Toker's mentioned there about the attacking part of the team and whether Mancini actually trusts that side of the game. Wouldn't surprise me, actually, this is me being pessimistic now, so Andrew, I'm expecting you to sort of come round and try and convert me the other way. It wouldn't surprise me if Zenit couldn't break Celtic down. Well, it's it, a lot does come down to how well, like you say, how much Manchester trusts the attacking players, and I, I find it odd that he that he wouldn't because they they do have arguably the on paper at least the 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 highest quality attacking unit. Um, in Russian football, certainly up there. Um, and it, it, that's the thing. Celtic have their vulnerabilities. They will be fairly defensive, fairly understandably, but also, like I mentioned before, you know, they've got um, they've got a few of their main players out and they are not a very... They don't have a strong record in Europe um, progressing far in competitions. They are always in the, the Champions League group stages or Champions League qualifiers because of their lack of competition in Scottish football rather than their 
genuine quality. Now, I'm not trying to, as quite rude about them, but the fact is they don't have that much competition. So um, I think realistically, it's, um, it, is a, it is a concern. They're going to have to break down a stubborn side, but they know that Celtic are not going to be going all out. So they can, if anything, possibly afford to give Paredes a bit more license to get forwards. That's probably what I would do because I think he, I mean, he's great in most roles in the midfield, but I, I think he's possibly more dangerous if he's allowed to be more advanced. Maybe, say, Kuzai should be told to hold the midfield more, um, give Paredes more license to get forward, um, play Kukorin centrally, and I'd say let the, let the players get on with it because they have the quality. I mean, Toke, would you go with the same then about that sort of being able to break Celtic down? Yeah, I think I think Andrew said it uh, uh, said it perfectly. I think this Celtic team. I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of Scottish football, so this was the first I've seen of them this season. Uh, it didn't really impress me. I mean, obviously they do have some good players. McGregor was really good. Dembélé up front was really good, but in the big picture, this is a, a media, uh, an average team, and Senate should be able to to get through them. I mean, there, there's a lot of quality in the Senate team. And if they do find the, the old level, which I think I think for Senate it was a big um, it was a big help. And now they have one competitive game in the legs. They are back in in the spirit after two months on, on vacation and training camps. I think we'll see a, a different Senate team in the next leg because now they really the season has started again and I think um, mentally that that's really important and, and yeah, I expect Senna to to really put put Celtic under pressure and 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 give give the best and and hopefully advance to the next round because it is a team that that belong uh, in the final stages of this tournament in my opinion. So let's move on to uh, the third game now and another not particularly great result, but I think we can live with this one, Andrew. Cisco uh, Moscow, of course, draw, uh, drawing nil nil away at Red Star Belgrade. I mean, on the podcast, I mean. I'm going to sort of dig Toka out here. Toka was quite confident, I think, going into this game. Toka, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, I seem to remember he was thinking, oh, yeah, Siskei should be able to do this. And I was thinking, I'm not quite sure, because we saw um, Red Star, of course, going very well in Serbia, uh, top of the league, obviously, with a massive uh, points difference. Uh, Beat Krasadar, of course, in the qualifiers. I know it's uh, qualifiers are a bit different. But um, good result, actually, for Siskei in a way, would you say? Yeah, I, I would um, for a couple of reasons, really. One, because they showed a bit of mental strength to hold out. Akinfeyev was excellent, made a, a few great saves to um, to keep the scores level. But, you know, the first competitive game back, tiring at the end of the game, like I mentioned earlier, that is a genuine point that people make. And Tisca held out. I actually thought Tisca were very good. I thought they were fairly comfortable um they they control possession reasonably well when they have the ball um Kuchayev on the sort of left wing back i guess position that was a surprise selection but you know it showed a bit of confidence and you talk about confidence in attacking players well there was Goncharenko showing a bit of confidence yeah sure he doesn't have as big a squad to choose from so his hand is forced sometimes but genuinely i was very encouraged by that performance and Honestly, Red Star, and the second point I'd make is Red Star, I thought, were just desperately, desperately poor. I thought they were, I thought they were rubbish, quite frankly. Um, they, they had a few chances that fell their way, but it felt like they fell their way rather than they carved them out, if you see what I mean. 
Um, and away from home, I just don't see them causing really any attacking threat. I mean, I know they have to try and, well, not necessarily have to try and score. They might try and grind out nil-nil, take it to extra time. But um, I don't think TSK should be unduly worried about the threat they will face. And they can focus on picking the players that will be able to break Red Star down at home. And I, I'm, I'm genuinely very confident about this one. Um, I think TSK have the best chance by, by some distance to go through in this time. But um, the only thing I'd say, Toker, is Andrew talks about how poor Red Star were. But the thing I'd say, we talk about it in the Celtic Park game. There is that pressure now because they didn't get the away goal in Belgrade. There's a pressure of conceding. We know Cisco are very good defensively, though. I will point that out, obviously. But there is that slight doubt, perhaps, that could be in their minds. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as, as Andrew said, uh, Red Star were really poor. But I guess that says even more about Cisco, the fact that Red Star actually did get through to quite a good amount of chances, and had it not been for Akafev in the goal, Cisco could easily have won, have, have lost this game. Um, so this is definitely not over. I mean, I'm still confident on, on Cisco's behalf. There's no doubt about that. But I think we we have seen Russian teams perform worse results than going out to to Red Star Belgrade in the past, and and we shouldn't take anything for granted. But but definitely, I mean, Siska are massive favourites in this game. There's not really any doubt about that. But um, they didn't—they didn't really impress me in the first game. I thought offensively they were quite horrible. Akman Musa looked very far from the player he was when he left the club uh, a year and a half ago, and they—they they need to to elevate the level significantly in order to advance from this one. Yeah, I mean, Toka mentions it there, Andrew, and I was going to ask, I was actually going to, that was my next question for you. What did you make of Ahmed Musa's return? Well, I, I think Toka's, Toka's right that Musa wasn't nearly at the level that he was when he left and earned his move to England. But the, the point I'd make, and this is something that I think we've all really mentioned, um, you know, off air before, that Musa coming back into what is effectively a different system to what he played under Slutsky. Um, which is really without wingers, the wingbacks providing the width. Um, it means Musa is forced to play, well, to play centrally, and it's not it's not where he gets the best out of him. He needs to be running with his face towards the goal, not with his back to goal, um, and he needs to have that room to run into to be at his most dangerous. And I think when he was when he had his best moment, it was when he cut in from outside or was attacking between the centre back and the full back, as opposed to faced with both the centre backs. Um, so I, he wasn't he wasn't great, no. But I think the thing about Musa is, even when he's out of position, such as his pace and you know decent finishing ability, there's always a chance that you can get a um, you can get an opportunity his way that he will he'll make the, their defence concerned. They'll, they'll backpedal. They know he's got the pace to get in behind them. So I'd say even even out of position, he's a he's a potentially dangerous part of the team. But I agree, he wasn't at his best. So I'm hoping Goncharenko will find a way to to get more out of him in the return leg. Because if he does, then that really could be a major factor in the result. So just to sort of round the Siska topic off, we're both expecting, well, we're all three expecting us to um, get through. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So let's move on to the one positive. And actually, people will say we should have gone over this earlier, but I'm, I'm a pessimist along with Toka, as we've been over so many times, so we've left this till last. Although you could also say, save the best till last, we had Lokomotiv Moscow going away to Nice and winning 3-2 after being 2-0 down. And Toka, 
this was, out of those four matches, this was arguably the most surprising result. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if I remember correctly from, from the podcast last week, this was actually the game we were very much in doubt of. I mean, it would, we weren't completely sure about the level of needs. We saw, okay, they have good players, Balotelli and, and so on, but this this was incredibly impressive by Locomotive. When, when, when they went down 2-0, I thought, okay, well, yeah, th- this is what we expect from Russian teams, same old business. But then they turned the game around, Manuel Fernandes with, with the hat-trick. Uh, of course, they were helped a bit by a red card to Tunis in the, in the second half, but yeah, sim- simply incredible. I mean, this, 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 was, this is one of the best results by a Russian team in a long time, I think. I mean, Andrew, we've talked about uh, Manuel Fernandes' hat-trick there. He scored one of those goals just on the stroke of half-time. And I, I was talking to Toka quite extensively about this on uh, on Twitter messages. Uh, private conversation, we're not going to talk anymore about that. But, um, I mean, that goal just before half-time, absolute catalyst there for turning the game around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's just... Uh, I've been delighted to watch how much he's grown in the last... I say grown, you know, it, it feels like he's grown because he was such a good player in England. And then the last 18 months, he's just exploded again. Um, he's just... Um, He's got so much quality. His control of the ball is just such an outlet in every sense, just in possession, in passing, his set pieces. And that goal was, like you say, perfectly timed. And another thing as well, um, I think, and it's a sign of how well Loco have done this season, is is Yuri Sermin um, making those changes at half-time, bringing on Farfan and Rebus. Um, because Farfan has had such such brilliant form in the first half of the season, his confidence is high. That was a positive a positive change to make, I think. And yeah, OK, the, the red card certainly had had an influence. But when you've you've got that goal back, you're making changes at half time. You've got the quality of Fernandes, of course, on the pitch. There's always that chance you're going to get back into it. And they they were brilliant. Absolutely fantastic. And now you'd really have to say, Three away goals, they've got the advantage. Surely, surely they are favourites to go through. I am very surprised by the result, but I'm I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth and accept the gift if that works. <laughs> but um, I, I think that's how it works. I, I, it's, it's something along those lines. Um, a very kind horse. Uh, I, we're going too far down that route. I'm going to accept it. Let's just say that. Let's take that. Okay. I think this is a quite interesting contrast between Simmons' approach to the game and Gutierrez's approach. I mean, we see seven. Okay. They don't have to resolve the one. He makes two quick changes at halftime and turns the game around. While Gontorenko, on the other hand, he made one substitute in the entire Siski game, and that was in the 84th minute. Um, I think it, it was really interesting to see how, how differently they took to the game. And I must say, Simon really proved why he is considered one of the, the greatest Russian coaches of, of uh, recent time. Just on that, though, Toko, we've mentioned Siska earlier about um, Gontorenko having his hands tied. Would you say there's something to do with that, though? Yeah, well, of course they don't have the greatest, um, the greatest bench, bench and everything, but but still, I think it's, I really think it's, it's strange to wait so so long for for making the the only substitute of the game. I mean, you have the substitutions for a reason, and obviously the game wasn't going as intended. So, I found it, I found it very strange. I was just waiting for them to to try something new, but it never really came. And Andrew, I mean, I may as well publish the conversation I would take because I'm just bringing it all out. But I, I was saying to Toka that I was perhaps a bit worried about how Loco, 
because obviously this is a new sort of challenge for them, being top of the league and everything, I was worried how they would come out after the winter break, whether they'd be able to sustain it. And going outside of the Europa League a bit here, does this result, this will give them real confidence going to the start of the, re the regular season again? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I actually sorry, do... Sorry, very quickly, provi providing they get through next week's tie. Let's just put that out there. Well, yes, of course. Um, but, I mean, let's let's hypothetically assume that um, they do manage that. I, I would agree with you. And I actually, I did share, or, well, no, I don't anymore, probably, but I certainly did share the same concerns, you know, gentle concerns about Loco. They've, like you say, they've not been in this position for a very, very long time. And psychologically, how will they cope? But what gave me more confidence was very simply that Yuri Semin is clearly in absolute control of what he wants from his team. They're responding. You know, he's getting the best out of Igor Denisov, and that's been one of his masterstrokes um, of the season. So that makes me think that, yes, they will have the, the strength of mind to focus in the right way and approach games the right way. So, um, yeah, I think um, I think Loco will be... Well, obviously, they'll be delighted with that first leg, get through to the next round, see what the draw is like. And, you know, don't forget, of course, there's only 10 games left domestically. So they can, if they can wrap up the league as early as possible, or at least make ground on their rivals as early as possible, they might actually be able to make a much more serious attempt on the Europa League. I don't expect them to, I don't expect them to win the Europa League, but you never know. Um, you know, other teams may have injuries, drop in form, Loco can focus more on it. And, there's no reason why they can't aim for that. Uh, just for listeners, Loco are top of the league, of course, like you said, Andrew says, uh, 10 games to go, uh, eight points ahead of uh, Zenit St. Petersburg in second. Uh, just a quick one to finish on the Loco game, uh, Toka. Ari, coming back into the fold after after his injury, how did you make his performance? Well, Ari was one, pulling the red card, so I thought he did very well. I was very happy to see him back on the team because he was so important for Locomotive. Uh, both last season when he joined the club in the, during the winter, but also in the, in, the, in, the, in the few games he played before his, his injury this season. It's also worth noticing that Lokomoto finally have uh, Cholucca back after his long injury. He didn't make the team for this game, but, but he'll, um, he'll be a very important player for them this spring. And, I mean, I know Andrew is, is, is the optimist of the podcast, and I think he just proved it again. I don't think Lokomoto will win the Europa League, but with Cholucca back in the team, they're definitely looking to be a much better side than in the, in the spring. At least on paper. To be, to be fair, I don't think Andrew said they would win the Europa League. I'm just going to put that out there. Usually, I, I mean, it's true. Could <laughs> I, I think even for me, that might be a little stretch. Two men for Champions Sorry. League in three years, I think, is uh, Andrew's, <laughs> Andrew's idea. But um, <laughs> let's move this on then to the, the World Cup, which, of course, we've got uh, coming up in the summer. Of course, just to sort of reiterate, we're going to have some great coverage on the website. Um, RussianFootballNews.com coming into the World Cup. A um, little topic we're going to do here is sort of our dark horses for the World Cup squad. So, of course, the uh, the World Cup squad will come out and um, FIFA have actually changed the numbers up now. So you um, the preliminary squad will be 35 members as opposed to 30, but then it will be cut down to the, uh, the 23 as per usual. So, um, Andrew, I'll come to you first on this. Any sort of dark horse names that you'd like to throw out there for the World Cup squad? Well, I think, for me, uh, the defence is a bit of a concern um, because Jikia's involvement... Well, I mean, we've seen in recent weeks that he seems to be really going at his recovery as if he has a hope of getting to the World Cup. And I, my understanding originally was he wouldn't, be, he wouldn't be available at all, absolutely guaranteed. But I think even if he does make his um, recovery in time, 
I still think you, you, you couldn't quite be 100% certain he'll last the whole tournament. Um, I hope Russia's tournament lasts longer than the group stage, obviously, and I think it will. So it's in defence that I think we really need to think of dark horses. And I'm going to use a suggestion that um, uh, that Toker actually made a while ago. I think it was. Um, I think Vladimir Granat might be a dark horse for defence because he's actually a relatively low-risk option when you think about it because he's got the experience. He is an international um, and he he can play in the back three and that's Chichesov's favoured formation, of course. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping... I say hoping, I think it would be a sensible choice. And quite frankly, I'd rather him than Ilya Kutupov in the squad. Um, It's just my Kutupov crusade. I don't know where it came from, but I'm on it. And I can't can't accept the guy as a World Cup defender. I I think he's too much of a liability. So Vladimir Granat is one one name I'm going to throw out there to start with. And and I think it would be a sensible sensible, um, choice for them, for the squad. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna try and get Kutupov on this podcast with you one day, just so you can have it out with him. <laughs> I think that'd be, that'd He's be a lanky so yeah, that'd be quite amusing. Um, I mean, Toka, what? Are, not just in defence as well. You can focus on defence if you like. If you've got a couple of players there, but what other positions are you looking at as well? Well, most of all, I think this is about pure pure quality. I think right, we need to find some players for the Russian national team who come to the World Cup with confidence and who has sort of an X factor can go in and and elevate the squad and, and lift the level of the squad and maybe some players who can turn the games around. Obviously, there are very few of these kind of players in Russia and that's why I just I can't stop thinking about Denis Cherenshev from Villarreal. I mean, ever since he broke through for Real Madrid, that that feels like a decade ago, I've been waiting for him to become a regular part of the, of the, uh, of the Russian national team. Um, he's now, I think he's 27, he still only have a couple of games to his name, but but I, I, from time to time, I see these wonderful highlights from him. I, I remember he played a really good game against Real Madrid recently when uh, Villarreal won 1-0. And I just can't think, stop thinking. I mean, if, if we have a guy like him playing in Spain for a team that's part of the top, even, um, he, he should be on the Russian national team. Unfortunately, he doesn't get a, a lot of playing time. And that's, that's a big problem for him. It has been a big problem for him for many years now. But... A player for Villarreal really should be on the national team, and, and I hope Cherishev can can get more playing time this spring because he he really he could be a fantastic player to get to the World Cup. He really does have have that X factor. He has he is capable of turning games around on his own. Yeah, I mean, with that sort of creative player in mind, would you go with Cherishev as well, there, Andrew? Well, I definitely think it's a a very interesting option because, well, like Toka said, he's 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 got the quality. And he makes a very good point, actually. I agree, Toker, with you that you know the players, the, the players that can create something out of nothing, turn a game around when it's a turgid draw, and they've got to get the three points to get out of the group. He is the sort of player um, who has certainly the potential. Uh, he needs a lot of encouragement, I think. He needs some faith to be put in him, and unfortunately, he's not really been given a lot of indication that there is faith behind him in the last, say, 6-12 months in friendlies or whatever, but barely seen him. Um, but he has the quality, so yes, I wouldn't I wouldn't be disappointed at all to see him in there. Um, the only thing I would say is that with the with the squads that Chichesov has named and the young players he's brought in, you know, the, both Moranchuk brothers, um, 
Zobnin back from injury, Golovin, Zagorev, you're starting to run out of places for um, <clears throat> for him in the squad. But I think there could be room for him. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't have any problem with Cherishev. Could be, could be an X factor. And moving further at the field then, um, what about the striking options for you, Toka? Just look at the last squad that um, Cherishev called up, and that was for the friendlies against uh, Argentina and Spain in November. The four strikers selected were Kokorin, Smolov, Polas and Zabalotny. Um, would you sort of do you think there'll be any tinkering with that? I hope so. I think those four strikers are a bit too similar for my taste. I'd like to have, like he did at the at the Confederations Cup, I'd like to have either Tuba or Bukharov just to get a striker with some different strength than the others. I think it's good to have, I mean, Kokorin and Smolov and Polos are all really good strikers, but I think Russia needs to, to bring a physically strong striker. They can, I don't expect them to, to use him a lot, but. For example, at the end of the games, I mean, it does. It just gives some some different up, uh, tactical options, and I think that's important not to bring four players who who are really very similar. So I'm I'm interested to see how Chuba performs for Arsenal Tula this spring. I mean, obviously he's been he's been loaned out for Senna. This is his big chance. Uh, he missed the last World Cup after his fantastic season for Rostov, so this is probably his last chance for for, for playing at a World Cup. Uh, he should be very motivated. I also thought Bukharov did. He did all right at the Confederations Cup, uh, given the circumstances. So I would be, I'm interested in following those two players in the spring because I, I think one of them should go to the World Cup. Would you go along with that, Andrew? Well, I think the point in general, yes, uh, Toke's absolutely right. There's there's no there's no point trying to be you know virtuous about it and say, oh no, we're going to play quality on the you know ball on the ground um, passing game. The entire time, because why should you be embarrassed? You need to have a physical presence up front sometimes. Um, and I actually, I'm torn. I'm torn between uh, Juba or Bukharov. I think both. Uh, I actually was impressed with Bukharov during the um, uh, Confederations Cup. I thought he did okay, and I think he's got the experience. Uh, certainly, he knows a lot of the players in the squad. So a physical option certainly. The only thing I would say is that. Um, I think Zabalotny could play that role, but it's just, I mean, I know it sounds harsh, but I'm already mildly concerned at how he will do confidence-wise the second half of the season. Um, I wasn't impressed with him in the first leg of that Europa League game against Celtic, but if he is played for the rest of the season by Mancini and he you know, scores four or five goals, shows a bit of confidence, then I'd perhaps go with Zabalotny for that role. But um, I, I have my misgivings about Zuba. I personally... I'm almost tempted to say I'd rather Bukhara than Juba just because of his form. But one of the two, there's definitely a place for them, I think. OK, so as we sort of reach the end of the podcast, let's do a bit of an any other business section. And uh, we should have mentioned this earlier, and I, I, I actually asked you to, to remind me, and you didn't. So luckily, I've, I've somehow managed to get it from the deepest recess of my brain. And that was um, Krasadar's uh, Youth Cup tie against Real Madrid, at, uh, in Krasnodar, which was a 32,000, all pretty much sellout crowd, nil-nil draw. I mean, Andrew, this is some some crazy story we had. Oh, absolutely mad, wasn't it? I mean, I think it's fantastic to see um, see so many people get behind a youth league game because these are sort of atmospheres that these players are going to have to tra- transition into, you know, within two or three years if they have hopes of making, you know, the the senior side. So. I mean, what a crowd. I believe it's the highest attendance ever at a 
Europa, uh, UEFA Youth League game. Um, and the best part, really, from our point of view, was that the Krasnodar team, far from embarrassed themselves, they actually controlled parts of the game and had two or three very, very good chances. Um, they they played well against one of the best youth sides in, in the continent. So, yeah, great, great attendance and really good occasion for showcasing youngsters. And I just hope that they continue to get behind the team, uh, the youth teams in this way. Um, so, yeah, great stuff to see. Toker, I've got to, I've got to put the negative spin on this now. Um, <laughs> yes, great and everything, and it's fantastic. But there is also a little air of this as it was Real Madrid rather than Krasnodar they came to watch, wasn't it? I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to be um, to be negative here, Thomas. The, the first thing I was thinking when I saw these numbers was, okay, this is fantastic, but but where are all these people at the at the normal league games? I, I think, of course, the size of the game influenced a lot. And as you said, this was Real Madrid, so more people came. I think if I'm to be positive about this, I would say that, okay, this proves that there definitely is a football interest in Russia. I mean, we've spoken a lot about whether or not Russia actually is a football country. I think this is uh, this pulled towards Russia being a football country, but because obviously it is incredible having a crowd like this for, for a youth league game. I've, I've never heard about anyone caring about those games. So, so yeah, this, this was, was an incredible number. And then finally, Andrew, just sort of to round the podcast off, we're getting the Russian competitive season back underway in Cyprus with the FNAL Cup. Oh, it's the big one. It's the big one. Who cares about the Europa League, Champions League, World Cup? The FNAL Cup is where it is. Um, yeah, it's, you know what? I mean, I have my personal interest being, you know, I follow lower league football with uh, Chimen, of course. And it's, it's such, I think it's generally such a good tournament because it fills that gap before the, the league system resumes. But it's also a really, really important uh, competition and period for clubs who are trying to you know, fill their squads again. A lot of contracts will run until the winter, and there are so many trialists. In fact, even on the official club websites, um, they don't even publish the name of the player they're playing in their lineup the next day because they don't even know themselves. They just put trialist up front, and there's sort of a sense of intrigue about that. Um, and actually... They've got some. They've got some genuinely good, um, good groups in there. Because although it's the Fenel Cup, there are a lot of sides from um, other divisions that make up. In fact, less than half of the sides actually are Fenel sides. But you know, you've got Ural are playing, um, Spartak Dubal uh, are playing, Ararat Moscow. They've been tearing up second division. They'll be in the Fenel next season. Um, you know, Krasnodar's second team. We talked about the youth team. Their second team were in it. Um, and I, I just think it's it's a really good level of competition. It's not too much, but it's enough to make it a bit more important than a friendly. It's against the opposition you'll be facing the rest of the season, and teams can re-energise in every sense. So um, I really would advise people to keep track of it. Group stages are just finishing. Uh, knockouts will be happening uh, next week. So, yeah, keep your eyes on that. Uh, just, I'm, I think you told us before we came on that um, the today's or tomorrow's games, uh, this weekend's games, either way, are cancelled for hail in Cyprus. Yeah, I know that's absolutely mad, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, apparently the, the the west coast of Cyprus is being battered by rain and hail. So um, Chimen's game against Spartak Dubal will be played tomorrow, um, and that will decide who goes through to the knockout there. Um, but 
Yeah, it's a great run out for the teams. And uh, and there's a, a minimal amount of prize money involved, but there is some, which is invaluable at this level. So, yeah, that's the play for. Uh, and what do you make of two men's t- chances in there? Well, they've um, <clears throat> they, we've lost our captain, Andrei Pavlenko, who's gone to Luch and Agia Vladivostok. Um, and ironically, he will he is in Cyprus with them. Uh, as we speak. So Chumen are, are very much weakened and I don't really think there's much hope of Chumen winning the Fennel Cup this season but um, they did beat Ararat so they just get a result against Spartak. Um, they just need a draw because they scored more goals so they might get through but I don't think they're likely to win it but anyway, I'm happy to see them get a win get some goals, get some new players on board. And I think that's a really good place to leave the podcast everybody. So um... Just to sort of reiterate the social media of Russian Football News, we've got the website, RussianFootballNews.com, at RussFootballNews on Twitter, at RussFootballNews on Instagram, uh, Russian Football News Facebook page uh, we've got on there. And, of course, we've got um, Andrew's Predictions League. When does the Predictions League start again, Andrew? Do you have a date on that? Uh, well, the uh, 2nd of March is the Friday, I believe it is, or 1st of March will be the Thursday. So um, I'll be putting out a newsletter and uh, getting everybody to get back in on that. Um, so beginning of March is the beginning of that. Um, and also, don't forget, we've got our Predictions Cup, which we're running alongside it. Um, and it's uh, it's five euros to enter and there's a chance to win cash prizes. So we're really excited about that. So definitely is a good time to get involved with the Predictions League. Perfect. And um, just to come to you, Token, very quickly, Andrew talks about the newsletter there. I'm right in thinking, uh, just send a message to the Russian Football News Facebook page with your email address to sign up for the newsletter. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You can contact us on Twitter as well. Um, get, get in touch with us and we'll put you on the mailing list. A lot of important stuff going out on the newsletter, like updates on the the predictions league, um, new articles, everything really. It's it's a good place to to get updated if you're not spending all your day on social media, or if you're not looking at Russian football news all day, of course. Of course, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but um, of course. So, like again. The social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, we're on that. And then, of course, the website, RussianFootballNews.com. Um, Toka, just a quick point on the website. Uh, anything sort of particularly interesting coming up? I mean, everything's interesting, obviously, but any highlights for you in the next uh, few days? Yeah, we'll, we'll, of course, we'll be warming up to the return legs of the Europa League games next week. We'll also have uh, an article coming up on uh, Oleg Shatov, I believe, and his move to, to FC Krasnodar and, and what's going on with him, how he fell from grace. Um, in such a short time so a lot of, a lot of good stuff coming uh, I definitely think you should go in check it out we have new stuff coming every single day so there's really no excuse not to, to visit the site regularly perfect stuff and of course do subscribe to this podcast on your usual podcaster formats uh, which of course is hosted by the World Football Index we uh, thank them for hosting us and um, we will see you on the next podcast <laughs> Идет футбольный матч, летит на поле мяч.